0: Hey everybody! All right, if uh, a couple of you could type in yes, just to let me know you can hear me, that would be great. Um, my name is Andrew Kraus. I co-founded EventRight with Stephen key over 21 years ago, and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors to license their products ever since. And so, what licensing is is basically you're utilizing this big company's money, so you don't need to raise money. It's their money. It's their workforce. So it's their sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising. These companies you license to, they're basically machines. Um, They might have 20 products. They might have 50. They might have 200. And when you license and rent your idea to them, your product is one of theirs. So kind of you are them. And so you don't need to raise money because they have lines of credit. And they're going to utilize their lines of credit and their money to launch a product. So that's great. And they have sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising already pushing all these products so your product is just one more they're going to push. And then the biggest thing is existing distribution with licensing. So people go, well, I should just make it and sell it myself. Well, you have to create all that distribution from scratch. And retailers do not like one product companies. So when you license this big company, if they're in 30,000 stores, boom, you're in 30,000 stores. Now they may only decide to put in certain stores this or that. And that, that's part of the interview process before you do a licensing deal with them. But uh, thank you, Max, for typing in that, that you're there. So, um, so that's what licensing is. You're renting or leasing your product to these big companies, and then they pay you a royalty on every unit that they sell. And sometimes people say to me, you know, well, Andrew, I would sell it myself. I keep all the profit. I don't want a five or eight percent royalty. Well, you you do the math. You're getting a five percent royalty, and they're selling two hundred thousand units or you do it yourself, you're spending 60 hour work weeks running your own business, risking mortgaging your house and home, and you're getting a 20% profit margin, which is not too uncommon, that's all you get after your cost, and you're selling 5,000 units, you do the math. So there's nothing wrong with starting your own business and selling a product yourself, Um, but I found that most inventors, when when you explain the differences between the two, they're like, I want a license, I want to do that. You keep working on more products, you can work in different industries, same industry, So it's really nice. It it offers you a lot of flexibility, and it offers you – it's very low risk, very, very low risk. So when you're licensing, you know, products can be difficult. There's products. You can spend a bunch of money on a prototype. But a lot of our students, after they get up and running, they're spending literally $75 on a provisional patent. Few bucks on a marketing piece and a few bucks on a virtual prototype, and a lot of times you're in it for under 300 bucks, and you could be potentially earning you know 20, 50, 100k a year in royalties. Depends on the product, of course, right? Um, so it's a really cool business model. People kind of typically will have like a vague idea of how it works, but definitely not the specifics. And when people get into the weeds about how licensing works, they make um, inaccurate they have inaccurate thoughts and they make a lot of big costly time consuming mistakes so the invent right show is about people preventing folks from making those mistakes and we give a lot of information for free we've been doing this um this live i a i've been doing it for um, pretty much since the beginning of the pandemic which i'm very proud of and you guys have said you really appreciate it and enjoy it um then we have our youtube show with over 600 uh, videos and there's not like sales pitch in there every two minutes for our coaching program but if you want to take it to the next level the coaching program could be really really helpful um, let's see uh jeff said so when you, if you type in when you so go ahead start typing your questions into the, uh, the live chat and um i'll answer your questions um and because some of you have some weird handles your youtube handle or whatever Type your first name so I can address you by your first name, or I could just use your weird U2 handle, whatever works for you. Um, Jeff said, uh, hi, Andrew, my prototype works, but the real device needs to be professionally engineered. Is it reasonable to offer a reduced rate for the first few quarters to help with the cost of engineering? Um, I think what Jeff is saying is should he offer a reduced rate on his royalty for the first few quarters for their investment in the product, that's an interesting question. I don't think I've heard anybody ask that question before and I thought I've heard them all over 20 years. Um, I don't think that that's usually necessary. I think the way that what you do is you structure the deal. We always say, Stephen and myself, is don't top load the deal. you know. And th- this is wacky inventor territory. And if you're not aware of this, you should be. If you're asking for a quarter million upfront, 50 grand upfront, that does not sit well with them. It takes a lot of money and effort to launch this new product. You wanna get paid the money on the back end. As they make money, you make money. So not asking for a bunch of upfront money is not putting that liability on them. So I don't think that you need to ask for a lower royalty rate, um, Jeff, for the engine for them to compensate them for the engineering at the beginning. I, I've never had guided a student to do that sort of deal. But to not top load the deal and ask for a bunch of money upfront, asking to pay for your patent as an advance on royalties or something like that. Sure. That's fine. And that helps a lot of people out because you can file a provisional for 75 bucks, go fishing. And if they're really interested in patents are important to them, a lot of them don't care. They'll do a licensing deal and go, we don't care about that. Um, I know it's shocking for some of you, um, but you can get them to, to give you an advance on royalties. You give that money to your attorney to file the patent and then they'll reference the $75 provisional file. We give our students software called Smart IP to file a provisional patent. Um, so no, I, I don't think you need to do a reduced. It, it it could be a creative way of doing a deal, Jeff, but I don't think it's it's necessary. Um, Linda Marie, uh, I've been referred to a general info at email address with no contact name to submit my cell sheet. Do you recommend this? What is the most effective subject line to use with submitting a cell sheet? Okay, so if you called the, the main gatekeeper and they said send to info at, I know you're probably thinking like, that's gonna go into a black hole, and it very well might. Um, but I would go ahead and send it if that's what they told you to do. I'd also reach out to the marketing managers directly on LinkedIn. We have a whole program called Smart Pitch, which shows you how to get into LinkedIn and approach marketing managers specifically for licensing and a very particular approach with templates and all sorts of things to use and the right mindset. So, you know, I, I, I would say don't overthink it. Um, am I a little skeptical that just the info app will do the trick? Yeah, I am. So I try to get in every other way you can as well, Linda Marie. Um, Uh, And you said, hi, Andrew, these Monday sessions are so informative and helpful. You're welcome. Um, The second part of your question is, uh, what is the most effective subject line when you're submitting a sell sheet? Um, You know, I would just say not to ramble, not to make it really long. Um, I would write new product submission. That would probably be fine. Um, To kind of intrigue them with the benefit statement, um, you know, if you know they have a particular product line, let's say they're doing um sort of kitchen gadgets um you know you and you know a certain product line you could say new product for xyz product line you know i mean subject line is a subject line i think it is important don't get me wrong but i think if you if you don't get really weird with it i think you should be fine i wouldn't say new invention submission I would I would typically we advise our students to stay away from the word invention or inventor so you're a product developer and you're submitting a product so and so that's kind of a fun little tidbit if you guys are new Um, I would always use the word product developer Um, now if you license a product to a company and they're okay with you doing some free publicity for it um, you for the media, they love the word inventor. I wouldn't use product developer, I'd use inventor. When you're submitting your product to companies, I'd always use the word product developer. Um, so in that case, oh, I would also use the word product submission, not invention submission. Um, the word invention just has some weird connotations to it. And as well, the word inventor, they kind of imagine somebody with a tinfoil hat running around half naked or something. That's just a silly joke, but some of them do. So. Um, so I would use Word, I would use product developer or product. Um, okay, uh, Mike says thank you for all the great work you and Stephen do. Is the one-on-one negotiation support provided with one-on-one coaching? Uh, yes, it is. And then you said is it provided with the group coaching? No, it is not. So our group coaching academy program, the one-on-one negotiation support is not included, but with the one-on-one coaching, it is. Um, so we 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 do offer it. And you're asking if we do offer it. What is the cost for if not? Yeah, it's included with the one-on-one program. So you could call thirty companies, get interest from five. Our negotiation coach Paul would help you with every single one, not charge you a dime more. That's pretty cool. I'm pretty proud that we do that. Um, uh, Waleed says, "Hi Andrew. In communicating with companies, can I use Facebook? A- absolutely, you can." Um, I would do it privately, of course, uh, but my first uh, um, avenue is always LinkedIn and then the phone and email. And, but like we had a, one of our coaches, Scott Putnam, he had this one company that he was trying to reach out to him for six months, just crickets everywhere, phone, email, LinkedIn. And then he sent a message to him on Facebook. And, you know, somebody paid there to manage it. And then they confirmed that they were not open to submissions. But he got a response in about two or three days there. So I think it can be a method of communication. I think sometimes people managing the Facebook page, they don't know. But why the hell not? I say try to get in every way possible. I think inventors overthink, um, you know, like, for instance, Linda Marie said, if I send an info out, it's not like they're going to be like, Oh, well, why are you submitting to me on LinkedIn? You already sent it to me, sent it to us at InfoAd. One arm doesn't even know what the other arm is doing. You can't get in enough places initially. Now, when somebody shows interest, you need to be loyal to that person. Don't keep sending it to other people. Once somebody shows interest, and they're like, oh, okay, I'll show it around. All right? So have loyalty to them. Just to that one person in the company doesn't mean you're not contacting a ton of other companies and direct getting it in. And that's another tip. Um, this will take you forever. People get really excited, and they feel really loyal to that company. Well, somebody's showing interest. or looking at it. But if you don't continue to show it to other companies, you're going to want to shoot yourself in the head, and here's why. So you might go back and forth with this company. It's, it's not a company. It's a person. You know, you made a contact in the company, and you're going back and forth with them two and a half months. And then they decide, nah, we decide we're not interested for various reasons. You're like, oh, crap. Okay, so then you call two or three more companies. You get another one interested, back and forth two months. Oh, we decide we're not interested. You know, you can't do that. It's perfectly okay. You're not betraying them if you're contacting other companies all at the same time. It's like a shotgun bless. You're pushing it out all at the same time. Otherwise, it will take you frickin' forever, okay? So if there's one thing you get out of this Q&A, it's that push forward, And we push our students when possible. If there's 20 or 30, you're pushing out to 20 or 30. That's another tip. Just to go, oh, I want these big three companies. That's garbage. You're not going to be licensing products if you do that. Got to push it out to everybody. Now, sometimes um, a company, uh, an industry with a particular product, you only have 8 or 12, and that's fine. But for a lot of consumer products, you'll have 20 or 30, and sometimes I see people have 40 or 50. And now you're playing a numbers game because you worked hard to create that marketing piece that you're going to send out, right? Why not send it out to 40 instead of four? Why not? People, I don't know, people I think have this worry like that that somebody's going to, well, that's going to increase my exposure. Well, you're privately sending it to all these. You're not putting it up on websites. So that's the game you need to play. And that's the game that very few inventors play, but that's the game that our students play. So that's another big tip for those of you that are new. uh, Okay, Matthew said, "Hi, Andrew. How developed is your? Okay, how developed is your product idea? Have to get to be started with InventRight. Do your students? um, Do you direct students to product development resources? Well, see, that's a big misperception on your part. um, um, Okay, now I." I'm sorry I lost my place. I'm going to address you by your name. Okay, it was Matthew. Okay, so I got it. Matthew said that. um, You're under the misperception that you need to have a really developed product. And, you know, for those of you that have attended these Q&As before or watched your YouTube show, you know this. You're not selling your patent. You're not selling your prototype. Um, You're selling the benefit of your product. So to make a marketing piece and show the benefit of your product in a marketing piece, Show them what their customers are gonna see. You don't need a prototype for that. Now, are sometimes are you gonna like cannibalize something you bought at the store, duct tape, it looks terrible. Let's say it's a dog toy and you throw it and the dog plays and you're like, oh, the dog loves it, it works. But does that mean you need to create this production-ready prototype in order to show it to companies? Hell no. A lot of our students, a huge percentage of our students, literally just have an idea in their head and it's perfectly fine and we create a virtual prototype for them. Now, it varies. It's all over the board. Do you need to work on the prototype a little bit more on some products? Yeah. Um, do you need to prove that it's going to work? Yeah, sometimes you do, but other times it's like, it's kind of obvious it's going to work. I have a hard time making it, you might say to yourself, but I know a company can make it. Well, good enough. Make the virtual prototype, send it out to them, see what the interest level is. Don't spend all this time because all the time you waste dicking around with a prototype, pardon my language. Um, or I guess I said it, I shouldn't say part of my language, I shouldn't have said it if I didn't mean it, but all this time he spent messing around with the prototype, maybe you could have worked on a whole other product. And that's not a mindset a lot of new inventors are in, but that's the mindset we put our students in. So um, uh, Matthew, it can be very undeveloped as long as you're fairly certain that they can do it. You might be 70% certain, but are they going to like yell at you and go, oh, you don't have this production ready, pro- you don't have all this figured out? Ah. But at the same time, and I use this as an example. And I've had a few inventors who've done this. Don't be this inventor. Like, and this isn't this is just fictitious product, but like an inventor comes to me and says, "Well, Andrew, I I have this idea for a robot that hops up on your roof and shingles your house, so um, workers don't need to sweat all day long or risk falling off the roof, and it will reduce product liability, you know, liability insurance, and it will shingle your roof for you. And it's a robot." I'm like, "Whoa! Well, how, how are you going to do that?" You have a background in robotics? No, no, I just think it's a good idea. Okay, that's wacky inventor territory. That's not what I'm talking about. But if it's a simple product, like you have an idea for eyeglasses or something, and you make some sort of modification, and your version's like a little bit cruder, you're fairly certain how it's going to work, and that you add, they ask you how it's going to work. Well, there's this product and this product, and we're going to change it like this, and we're going to use this material. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty doable, right? That's not telling them, you should figure out how to put, make a robot to go on your roof and you have no freaking idea how to do it. That's crazy in mentor territory. But you can push it pretty far. You would be surprised. And maybe they're really intrigued. And a lot of times you can get them to do the work. Oh, yeah, we'll get some quotes. You know, can you give us a little more information? What about this? And, okay, that's enough information. They'll go get some quotes to see if it can be made, made at a reasonable price. And our students do that all day long. And you can do that. But to think that they're going like, to yell at you and go, you didn't have every little thing figured out about this. Or sometimes they understand the base product because they're making products in that space and you just got this hinge on the side and you need to explain to them how that's going to work. You don't even understand the inner workings of the entire product and that's okay. They and But sometimes they'll be like, well, we don't really do that work, but really intrigued. And you kind of keep the conversation going see how interested they truly are. Because if they're like, well, can you figure that out? You want to kind of keep pushing to make sure that they're really interested, because you don't want to go out and spend even $500 on a prototype for them to come back and go, eh, nah, Um, you don't want to do that. So you can kind of continue the conversation, the negotiation a little bit, the discussion. And and then if they're like, no, we don't really want to spend the time on that, and you come back and you give them the answers, but you kind of probe them for, like, what are they concerned about? What are the thoughts they have about it? And you can go out and get those answers. Maybe you only need to hire an engineer for an hour and you figured it out. Maybe you could find other products and cite those as examples that you hadn't found before. And they're like, oh, well, given that information, yeah, I think we can look a little bit harder and go get some quotes to get this manufactured, that sort of thing. So most inventors, they just, they don't think they can do that. And you absolutely can. Our students are doing it all day long. And you should, too. Um, because if you spend too much money on a project, you're not going to be able to work on your second or third or fourth, you know? And it's not necessary. And that's a big part of what InventRight is about. It's about limiting your financial and your time liability. Um, and when I see our students work on, a, on a projects, on their first project with us, it takes them longer because they're doing two things. They're working on the project to get it prepared to present potential licensees going through the whole process. But when, and they're learning too. So that's what you're doing the first time. Because we don't have like quizzes or tests. You working on your projects, quiz or tests, and the coach guiding you is you're learning it all firsthand, experiential learning. But once you know that, you know, I see our students, I would say, I'm not exaggerating, I see our students go two to ten times faster on their second project. Providing it's not a complex project, right? It varies. Some of our students have very complex projects, and they're very technical. Some people are completely untechnical, and they can work on certain types of projects just fine, many, many projects. So our students are everyone from housewives to um, nuclear physicists, doing everything from dog toys to medical devices to save lives. It's all over the map, and our approach works for all sorts of different projects. Um, let's see. Okay, uh, Hi, Andrew. My name is Vincent. I have an idea, but I don't know how to build a physical prototype. How do I find somebody that can build it for me? Where do I start? What are the first steps? So, um, I, I would, I, I would book an appointment with me, Matthew, and figure out if you even need, uh, a physical prototype. Quite often you don't. Um, so I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Uh, you can go on. Uh, you just call the main number and you can get, talk to customer service and you get book an appointment with me um, because obviously we can't publicly discuss that on here. So, but is it all the time? No, I might say, Oh, you only need this or, Oh, you kind of really do need to prove that out because that seems really unknown or well, that's pretty obvious, you know? And sometimes, you know, you need to do some research and a coach would help you figure out what direction to go there. And it's going to depend on each product, right? Um, Sean says, is it easy to, to file a design patent? No, it is not easy to file a design patent. It is for a patent attorney. Um, we advise our students to file a provisional patent, which is essentially a utility um, patent, a utility provisional patent. There is no provisional design patent. So you need to spend the money to have professional drawings done. And it's not 75 bucks. You know, it would probably costs you at least $1,500, if not more. Um, and then you have to ask yourself if it makes sense. A lot of times design patents are pretty useless because it's just the way something looks, not the way something functions. A utility patent, it's like, okay, it works like this. So literally it's just a picture. Um, and I, you need to do it exactly the way the patent office specifies. It's not something the layman can do. Um, if you're extremely experienced with CAD and you read some books, you might be able to do it. But I would just pay a patent attorney to do it. But now, why not just file a $75 provisional? I've seen products that were um, ripe for So don't get me wrong. Design patents can be useful, but you have to figure out when and when not. Sometimes patent attorneys, some patent attorneys, they're like, oh, we can't get a utility, so just do a design. And they're just trying to get money out of you. And the design patent's really not going to protect you. I'm not kidding. Then other times, it really can not protect you. It can do a really good job. So it really depends. Um, but... Uh, Sometimes I've had products, seen products like mm, utility is going to be a hard one on that. And I'm like, do you really want to spell two grand on a, on a design patent? Why don't you just spend 75 bucks on a provisional? Because even if it's not really probably going to be patentable with the utility patent, you can still legally file a provisional patent, spend 75 bucks and legally put patent pending. And it gives you this perceived protection that when you're sending to companies, they're like, oh, he's got patent pending status. And you can legally say it. you could file a provisional scribble on a piece of paper or crayon. They would accept it. So there's this perception, oh, is the patent office going to accept it? They always accept provisionals, providing you you, you pay the fee and you fill out the form, right? But you you can write whatever as far as you're protecting. They don't review it. They don't. So um, that's another thing you can do, Sean, is you could file a provisional full well knowing that you probably won't be able to get a, a utility patent on it instead of spending all that money on a design patent because do you really want to spend fifteen hundred bucks not knowing if there's any interest? That's a big part of the event right approach. Go off, fish off the see what the interest level is. And a lot of times they're gonna want to make changes. So if you go out and spend 10 grand on a patent, kind of nutty, right? And then a lot of times a lot of eventing is done after you show the company and they're like, Well, oh, we like it, but we have concerns about this and this, and you have a fix for it, they're gonna spend another ten grand on another patent. If you only spent 75 bucks on a provisional, you only need to spend another 75 bucks on a second provisional. And then when you file a full utility, you can reference both provisionals. So um, I don't find in most instances it makes sense to file a design patent when you don't even know if there's interest yet. Um, but everything I share tonight is not legal advice. Please seek the service of an attorney before making any any decisions. Um, so that's my little disclaimer. Um, uh okay matthew different matthew can one product be licensed to more than one company my invention can be designed differently to accommodate different target audiences can the different differences in design be licensed individually absolutely licensing deals are incredibly flexible whatever you can get companies to agree to you can put in a licensing agreement okay but here's and i talk about this in almost every q a you're not going to license to two companies that sell in the exact same place. Like if they're selling the exact same shelf at Walmart, well, I'm going to make more money if I license two companies. No, you aren't because now that one company doesn't have a unique point of difference. But if the product, maybe there's a version that's sold in big box stores, Walmart and Target, but you have this other version that would be sold on the countertop at convenience stores at 7-Elevens, and they're not stepping on each other's toes. You can license to more than one company, maybe a different geography, maybe a different distribution channel, maybe a super high-end version and a super low-end version. As long as the companies you license to are not stepping on each other's toes, you absolutely can license to multiple companies. And I've seen plenty of products where that's applicable. But quite often, if you license to a really big company that has great distribution, which you can do when you're licensing, and really big retailers, you're going to be very happy with the royalties you're getting licensing it to one company but you can pull out in that licensing agreement that you have the right to license over here and here and here because they're not there and see And it quite often they'll say yes to that but you have to when you do that you're usually talking to our negotiation coach Paul and he's helping you figure out if that makes sense and it's different for every product so I can't say, say you know there's no like black and white Oh no, you're always going to license to one or other times you're going to license to multiple in different categories. You know, it really depends on the product, but I would say a good percentage of the time our students are licensing one company and they're one and done most of the time, but not all the time. And they might even hold out and go, well, no, I'm going to keep out licensing in these areas or this version of the product. The company's like, yeah, we're fine with that, but they can't get a licensing bill done in that other space. And that's fine. Um, Let's see. Uh, I need to put my glasses on to see it. Uh, Demon, Demon Ray, Dem, Demo, Demo May, Demo May. Okay. Uh, thank you. You guys are very inspiring and know your stuff. Thank you. Demo May. I'm all proud of myself that I'm pronouncing your name. I think, right. (laughs) I'm not sure. Um, uh Daryl said, Hi Andrew, my name's Daryl. My PPA uh is approximately eight pages. This is provisional patent application. For those of you that are new, we refer to it in short as a PPA, provisional patent application. Uh, eight pages and growing. Do you think um possibly being a bit too detailed for something that won't be seen initially? Yeah, I find that people get some people get a little obsessed with it. So my best advice, Daryl, is this. If you have versions of your product that are half as good as yours, you're wasting your time and you're becoming obsessive with what you're putting in your PPA. But a version is 70, 80%, 90, 100% as good as your product but may not the version you're pitching, throw all that into your provisional patent, But you can't get a little obsessive about it. It is, I've never seen one of our students' provisional, what they did or didn't put in there be an issue. Now, does that mean you don't wanna do a good job? No, you want to do a good job with it, but also realize that when a patent attorney files a full utility patent, they're going to file it put all the important stuff, maybe some of the stuff that's missing. So only if that one year that the provisional gives you is debatable and is and there's something that was in there that that wasn't put in your full utility that you filed a year later, um, would that ever be an issue? I have never had one of our students that ever had to utilize their provisional to get that protection for that year ever in twenty one years could happen so i would i would say daryl don't get too obsessed about it um but you know if you just did it in your first product because you're new to it and then the next time you file a provisional pan, you know you're not spending 10 hours doing it but you're spending two well that's fine that's just a learning curve that's that's just what's involved in you know the learning process and that's okay um but yeah don't get too obsessive about it uh, Okay. Hey, Andrew. Uh, this is Jason. Uh, how long does a, sell, a sales pitch video typically supposed to last? We kind of have a rule. It should never go longer than a minute. I've had a few people insist on a minute and a half. Well, okay. Um, and really, sometimes you get it done in about 30 seconds. Uh, so it should. I, I. it's not like, hi, my name is Bob, and I have an invention, and I I talked to my wife and I came up with this idea and then I, you know, you're not doing that, all right? You're, you're, you're pitching them on the benefits so they get the benefit of the product like that. And then also realize that a video is not always a video. So a video could be still images with you narrating it or a professional narrating it. It could be moving images, it could be both. Um, and it doesn't need to be super slick. You know, one thing you always want to do is shoot in landscape mode with your phone. Never shoot vertically. That's a rookie move. Always shoot in landscape. Um, and you know, I know the the infomercial DRTV guys. Their videos are kind of cheesy, but the the core of what they are, like problem solution, really works. So you don't have to be cheesy like them. But the problem solution and how they keep it short and to the point. So if you went on and looked at on YouTube at some infomercials, um, and you saw the the 60 second ones or under, um, you can kind of model yourself after those. And um, sometimes it's just captions. I really like a narrator though. I mean, you can go on Fiverr and get somebody to narrate it for next to nothing, like 15, 20 bucks. Like, why wouldn't you do that? If you've got a great voice and you're good at it, you can do it yourself. And then these days, if you're on a Mac, use iMovie. It's freaking simple to use. Um, even I can use that and make a movie. And there's so much software for the PC. Um, you know, it's, it's 30 to 60 seconds So it's not like you're editing uh, this giant movie. Um, But, you know, we teach our students to storyboard it out. And it can just be written. You could have a written description of um, what the visual is in that scene and then written what the narrator is saying. Write that all out. So if you get somebody to help you shoot it, you're like, here, this is what we're trying to accomplish. Um, And you can shoot it yourself. Most of our students shoot it themselves on their iPhone or Android phone. And they do just fine and they edit themselves. And then quite often I recommend they do get a voiceover done, which is cheap. It's easy to do. Um, so I always look away and then I look back and then I lost my space here. With, uh, let's see. Okay. So yeah, Jason, uh, always under a minute, sometimes un- around 30 seconds or so, but you got to hit the core benefits of it. Can you fit a lot more into a video than you can a one page PDF cell sheet? Yeah, you can, do you want to necessarily? No, but sometimes you just show it, bop, 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 up, and you can fit more in, as opposed to when you're trying to do a sell sheet, you cram all these pictures in, if you have a bunch of tiny little pictures, it looks terrible. So it does give you an opportunity to share more, but you still wanna be direct to the point, doesn't mean you need to share every little thing it does. Um, but again, look at the, the infomercials people do, and you don't have to be cheesy like them if it's not an infomercial product. But you, you, you do have to see how they kind of get to the point, the problem solution sort of thing. Um, okay, Nick said, hi, Andrew, love these. Can I put my invention inside an already patented product? I don't know what inside means. Um, the separate invention helps show the use case on mine, or should I come up with a different way to show mine? Okay, uh, can I put my invention inside an already patented product? The separate invention helps show the use case of mine, or should I come up with a different way to show mine? I don't really know, Nick. I'm not really sure what the question is, but I can speculate. Um, yeah, I don't know. Can you give me a little if – if, Nick, if you – We got another 25 minutes here because I'm going to wrap up in 25 minutes. If you could type that out again so that you think I might be able to explain it and clarify, that would be great. And then I can can answer it. Um, uh, Joel said, kind of a general question. I have many great ideas I've compiled over the years and want to start my dream of making them work for me. Love the licensing concept. Where do I start? So what I would do, Joel, where I would start is I'd watch us ramble on YouTube. We've got over 600 YouTube shows. And I, I have people that say their spouse walked in and they're like, who are you watching? Oh, these right guys. You've been watching that for three hours. What are you doing? And so um, I have to think that people like the, the, the advice we give. So I would watch our YouTube shows. And the first step where you start is always studying the marketplace. So use Google Images, use Amazon. Google Images being my favorite. So you can just type into Google, and then usually after that, click on images. You see all these pictures. So if you have a, um, if you have a, a, pancake pan or whatever it is, we have we actually have a student that I got an email from today. I don't, I'm sure Miguel's not listening. He licensed a product called a ban- pancake robot. I'm not kidding, and it it puts down a pancake in the shape of Mickey Mouse or whatever you want to do. You can program all these fun designs, and uh, he licensed that thing. Um, but um, if you had a pancake pan, let's say it's a little bit simpler, um, you got, you have to know all the pancake pans. I don't know if that really exists, pancake pan. Let's say a, a waffle iron. I, we made waffles on Saturday with my family, and it kind of flips over. You need to know all the products in the microcategory of your invention. And Google Images is the best simple way to do that. You've got to do a lot of different keyword searches. So, um, So if you have a lot of different ideas, What I would do is I would study each of those and figure out which one you think is going to be the simplest one to start with. Not just the one you like or you've been thinking about forever, but the one that you studied. You study the marketplace, the micro category of that product. So if it's a barbecue spatula, you need to know every barbecue spatula out there. If it's a gardening trail, you know every gardening trail out there. And doing that on Google Images can happen very quickly. And then look at all the benefits of all these different products and then figure out where your product fits in. You're not trying to prove there's nothing like your invention. That is like doing research with blinders on. You want to acknowledge these other products, what they're good at, what they're not good at, what the prices are, and then see where your product fits. And sometimes you'll find something that's just like yours and don't really give up then go, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while and I found the exact same thing. Okay. Wh- what could I do to make it a little bit different? And then if you can't move on to the next idea. So um, Joel, your answer is where do you start? You always start on studying and doing the research. And I've been doing this for 21 years. Inventors do not spend enough time on that. And the longer you wait to do that research, the more anxiety you'll have about doing it. So really, a fully functioning inventor, if you want to do it, reduce your stress. Like the second you come up with an idea or in a second, the day, the week, whatever, get on there and take a look at it because the the longer you've been thinking about, the more in love you'll fall with it. And if you can make those adjustments that you need to just after you come up with it, the better it is. And so you're not just going with stuff that you like. You're accommodating the marketplace. Um Jason said, so DRTV didn't work out for my products, so I hit up smaller companies now. Do I hit up smaller companies now or big ones like Procter & Gamble? Procter & Gamble sucks. They'll never license from you. Um, There's there's like these mega corporations, which this isn't a problem, guys, at all. Um, I could count them on two hands. You know, Companies like Apple, Google, Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, 3M, they're too freaking big. And there's very few of those. So license, you can license the really big companies that are in all the major retailers, so don't freak out about that. But no, um, Jason, don't go from DRTV to go Procter & Gamble. Go for companies that make that type of product and they aren't Procter & Gamble. They're just a little bit smaller and there should be a ton of them. I talk to people all the time that think that those are their only licensees and I look at the product and I'm like, you'd have like 30 companies here, you're not looking at this right. So that's something that we train our students on. Um, So yeah, you should go to those companies. Um, uh, no, I, or so Stephen has this guy, Mark Portney on our YouTube show and he does venturing and, and Steven said to me, like, I like having him on cause it shows how difficult it is to launch your own product yourself as opposed to licensing it. Um, but no, I don't think you need to go to Mark. I would go directly to the companies you can license to. I don't think it need, means you need to start your own business and sell it yourself. Um, uh, Okay, Jeff said, I had trouble getting responses from the right people on LinkedIn, so I contacted the CEO. He replied and told me to contact Bob. Uh, weeks after Bob hadn't responded, should I talk tattle to the CEO? Um, no, but you know, it's sometimes people don't like it when you you should always try to go to a marketing manager or some lower level person um, because CEOs don't do that work. You know, they don't. If you go to the CEO and the CEO sends you to Bob, and, and Bob's like, now Bob doesn't get rewarded for discovering you. If you just went straight to Bob to begin with, then they're like, he shows the CEO, Hey, what do you think of this? Oh, this is good. You know, work on that. You know, CEOs don't do that work. They're there. I've had a lot of students get very frustrated. Smaller companies they do. They don't have the time to look over individual products and walk you through the whole, you know, figuring out if the project's going to work for them. Um, but I would be patient with, uh, Bob, if the CEO sent you to Bob, and let's say Bob's a marketing manager, and just be patient with it. And you know, here's the thing. If you're not being prolific enough with you reaching out, you made that contact with the CEO, and that's your one company, and now you're focusing. Oh, but the CEO sent me to Bob. You know, and now you, don't, you need to keep yourself busy with reaching out to more companies. So it's not going to frustrate you that Bob isn't getting back to you. So you send him an email once a week. And yeah, is he gonna look at that and say, oh, the CEO sent me, he might think you're full of it, but you know, say something specific. And he might be like, now I'm not gonna get rewarded, just Bob gave me this to do, you know? But I would keep reaching out to Bob that the CEO sent you to, and um, keep yourself busy with reaching out to more companies. But when you're focused on too few companies, um, you just get focused and obsessed about these companies, and you're keeping yourself busy licensing is a slow game so getting to the point here keeping yourself busy will help you tolerate the slowness of people getting back to you sometimes and that's how you deal with it but no i wouldn't tattle to the ceo after a period i would they're still not getting back to you after another three weeks i would say to the ceo hey i've reached out to bob several times used your name he didn't get back to me is there somebody else you can send me to sure Um, But I wouldn't do that quite yet if you're just starting to. People also, people in corporate America these days are doing two or three people's jobs. They're very, very busy, you know. And so for things to pop up in their email and just get buried is very common. They're overwhelmed. So give the guy, give Bob a break. Reach out to him a couple more times before you... You go back to the CEO and just politely say, is there somebody else i can talk to contact? And you might say, no, 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 it's still Bob. Or, you know, well, why don't you try Sally? You know, and you reach out to Sally, that sort of thing. So, um, but I like that question. You're, you know, you're, you're in the game. So I like that. Um, that was Jeff. Jeff, you're in the game, man. Great. Good, good on you, man. Most inventors aren't reaching out to a single company. So you're doing great. Um, Um, okay, Tim said, hi, Andrew, I have a utility patent pending on my idea. I have the ability uh, to put this idea in a publicized magazine. Would this be good to before I have a license or no? Put it in a magazine, get publicity and nobody can buy it. What's the point of that? Don't do that. You don't want all that exposure either. Even though you have a patent, don't think that that's completely protecting you. Um, so what's the point, you know? You know, so don't know. Don't put it in a magazine. You know, go directly to potential licensees and show it to them. Don't think that people will. Oh, I saw in this magazine, and some marketing manager will come chase after you. It's not going to work like that. You're going to get people inquiring about the product, and then you'll be like, I don't have it. So what's the point? What's the point of that? Um, okay, Grace said, Hi, would would like to appear professional as possible when submitting my idea to companies. Should I form an LLC or some business entity with a corporate website to house all the sales material? Hell no, not necessary. So, um, you know, when you're licensing, you don't have all the cost of starting your own business, making it, selling it yourself. So you could file an LLC. You always want to file an LLC or corporation when you do your first deal. Let's just one more thing to distract you right now, Gray. So if you want to do it, but they could care less. So you're sending them your sell sheet and your, your, your name is Gray. Let's say your handle is Gray J. Let's say that's your full name. Um, so Gray J Designs, they don't care. They're just looking at your product. They're not going to go, where's this guy's website? You know. Now, if you're on LinkedIn and you have a professional looking LinkedIn profile, that, that can be nice. That's a good idea. Absolutely. But they don't care. They just don't. So don't think that not having an LLC or a corporation is going to keep a company from wanting to talk to you. That's BS. It's not true. Um, and you know, there's some tax benefits of filing an LLC or a corporation, but you don't have a bunch of costs when you're licensing, but you should, you always do an LLC when you do your first deal. Absolutely. You should never file, do a licensing agreement under your own name, but you could wait to do it, or you could do it now if you want to, but don't think it's going to hold you back. Um, and Gray said, thanks for everything you do. Thank you, Gray. I appreciate it. Um, uh, Mike says, uh, if I use group coaching, what is the cost for one-on-one negotiating, uh, support? Okay. You, yeah. So with the group coaching, um, we help people as far as we can. Could you say if you're doing the group coaching, which is less expensive, it's about 900 bucks for six months, as opposed to three grand for the one-on-one coaching. Could you say to the coach, um, Hey, I got this email and you know, everybody else is listening into cause it's group coaching. I got this email. You don't say the name of the company or the name of the person. And they said this. What should I say back? Can we guide you um, to what to say back? Absolutely, because everybody else will benefit from that. That's great. And actually, one of our um, group coaching coaches is is our negotiations coach, actually. But can we guide you completely through to a closed deal? um in group coaching because you know when we had guide our students through a deal our negotiation coach would be looking through the contract talking in detail no it would take up the entire hour and everybody would say like this guy's taking up the whole hour i got questions too um so no you need to upgrade to the one-on-one coaching basically then but can we guide you pretty far and we've had people just do the group coaching and guided you yeah we've done that um it's a little bit more awkward though i would say um Uh, Yeah, Margie says, uh, or Margie, I'm sorry, Margie says, hi, Andrew, can you explain about the need to set up an LLC and do you have any suggestions for doing that without an attorney? One of our free uh, webinars we did during COVID, um, during this time, still is, right? Um, We had this guy and he was an expert. He has this whole website, which is completely free and shows you exactly how to set up an LLC. The dude was amazing. It was a free webinar we did. For every state, so you choose your state and it shows you step by step. It's very easy to do. Um, I don't have the name of that guy off the top of my head, um, but if you want to email me Margie at Andrew and InventRight and say what was the name of that, what was the website where it shows you how to file an LLC? Um, if you want to drop me an email at Andrew and InventRight, um, I'd be happy to look that up. I just don't remember his name or the website off top of my head, but I can find that for you. Um, so I, I think you could do it yourself. Um, there's places like LegalZoom where you can pay for it. I did it myself for my LLC. I have another LLC in addition to InventRight. It's it's very easy, um, and it's cheap in some states. In other states, it's not. California sucks, like 800 bucks. Um, Nevada, it's only t- like two, three hundred bucks um, a year. And then some states it's like 40 bucks, depends on the state you live in. But that website's amazing. And he keeps it all up to date, and it's all free. Um, but he also has, I think he has like a service that's not, I'm not a big LegalZoom fan, a different service other than LegalZoom, where if you're like, oh, I don't want to do it, you could use that service he has. Um, but drop me an email, and I'll i will find it for you. Um, uh, Nick said, I saw on your website coaching costs will increase in March. How much will be the increase? We're still debating that right now but it will be an increase. So if you wanna sign up for the group coaching or the academy, we are gonna raise our prices on, on March 1st. Um, but I don't have that exact number right now. Uh, uh, Margie said also, should, we, should the PPA be filed in the name of the LC? Yes, if you have one, go ahead. But if you don't, don't worry about it. Um, you, can, you can file under your own name. And when you file the utility patent, in the midst of doing a deal, you could do that one under an LLC, because you're gonna wanna do an LLC when you do your first deal. So, um, and you could also convert it. So I'm not really concerned about that. But if you have an LLC, yeah, go ahead and file it under your LLC instead of your name. But most of our students just file it under their own name. Um, uh, Stillwater8, hi, Andrew, I've heard the medical industry is open to product licensing. However, they are more challenging industry to license in. What makes the medical industry more challenging than others? So well, I'll, I'll, I'll parse out the medical industry. So there's like medical devices they use in hospitals. And then there's um, the medical supplies, that, like these catalogs that senior buys, buy, seniors buy from, right? Something you add on your wheelchair, something to help you grab something from the top shelf, something to help with this or that ailments. Um, So there are medical devices and there are medical devices. So there are medical devices that – that doesn't really help, does it? There's medical devices that are are things um, that are complex um, medical devices that a surgeon would use or that a nurse would use. Or maybe it's not complex, but it's a new way of doing gauze, but they're selling bazillions of units, and there's a lot of money involved. So those medical device companies or medical product companies, um, they are pretty more obsessed about patents than others. So That's what makes it hard. You, you want to understand how it's manufactured, and then you want to understand how um, lockdown patentability around that. So they're a little harder to license to because they're really nitpicky about patenting. But all the medical stuff that's sold in these supply catalogs that a senior might buy or you might buy a medical supply house, um, that an a, a end user might buy directly, uh, those aren't that hard. Those are a lot of just gadgets and gizmos and stuff. So it really depends on the product. But why it's harder is they expect more in the way of intellectual property. That's why it's harder. But it can be very worth doing. The volume can really be there. Uh, okay, Andrew Vo, great name, Andrew. Um, if I only if I only got a detailed paper sketch and know how to make it, how do I go about protecting it? Provisional patents, NDAs, notaries. So the way you protect is you file a provisional patent application, and you, you cover all the different ways of doing it, your provisional patent. You can use our smart IP software to do that, Then you just pay the patent office fee of 75 bucks. Another form of protection is the paper trail you create on what you show the company and when. So you, everything is documented that you're emailing them, plus you filed your provisional patent. The perception that all these companies are going to sign your NDA, if if somebody's told you that, it's probably an attorney, and they've probably never licensed anything in their life. And you're going to beat your head against your brick wall if you expect every company to sign your NDA. It's not practical. That's not legal advice. Seek the service of an attorney if you're seeking legal advice, but it's not practical. You got your PPA. You got the paper trail. What are you worried about? Um, uh, Let's see. What else did you put there? Yeah, so that's my answer to that. That was from Andrew. Um, Notaries? No, the notaries, that doesn't really factor in. No. Um, Some of these people. So follow your provisional, create the paper trail, and you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, Could you get ripped off? Yeah. Has it happened to one of our students in 21 years? No, I, I don't know a single one of our students that got ripped off by a company they presented to. So what is that? But what does that say? A lot. But do I, have I talk to inventors that say they've gotten ripped off? When I interview them a little bit about what happened, I realize they didn't. They're just being paranoid. Um, I talked to an inventor the other day, and he said, you know, oh, I shared this idea with his company two weeks ago. Now I see it on their website. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, now they're selling it on their website. I think they stole my idea. And I'm like, dude, nobody can get a product tooled up and put it on their website in two weeks. You're nuts. I didn't say that. I never say that to anybody. But, you know, are you serious? Oh, no, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, okay. And I, I didn't even talk to that person about coaching because I saw they were a little loopy. Um, and then I talked to inventors that are a little bit paranoid. But have I, have, have, are there some inventor out there that has got knocked off by a company? Yeah. But conducting yourself professionally is even more important protection. And that's what our students do. So they don't want to mess with you. That three or four percent of companies in most industries, I think that's about it, that consider it. When they see you've filed a provisional patent and you're creating this paper trail and you're saying smart things, you're not acting for wacky stuff, you conduct you, you can have a conversation with them. Um, you separated yourself from probably ninety to ninety five percent of other inventors. They don't want to mess with you. And don't underestimate my that apologies. that I is a hear what you said. Siri on my phone is No, it's actually on my watch. Siri on my watch is talking. Sorry about that. Um, So don't underestimate that as a form of protection. Um, And if you want 100% assurance that nobody will ever rip you off, don't do licensing. Don't do business. Just get a job because there's nobody can – don't think a patent protects you from that either. Don't. Um, But, uh, yeah, so, Andrew, that was a great question. So I wasn't speaking to you specifically, Andrew. The question was fine. I was speaking generically to everybody. Um, uh, let's see. Uh Andrew, is the home gym equipment industry hard to crack? Um, that's from Kevin. Uh, you know, it's it's a bit of a commitment for them. You know, you're you're you gotta tool up, you gotta, you know, a lot of it's welded and stuff, but you're making this big piece of equipment. Um so if you want to be the next home gym that's gonna sell on an infomercial, you know, the next total gym, I have one of those total gyms, I bought it on Craigslist, I didn't buy it online. Um, those, just, those are harder deals to close. There's a lot that's involved for them to think about. Um, but I think that exercise equipment's great. Right now they can't even deliver enough dumbbells, like since, uh, since the, the pandemic. Um, there's, there's a huge shortage of dumbbells and exercise equipment because a lot of people are working at home. So it's a great category right now. Um, so, no, I think it's a good category. Um, it's, you know, if you got this little barbecue spatula where they just need to make a little notch in it to clean your grill easier, is that less of a commitment, easier for them to launch than a whole new complicated piece of gym equipment? Yeah, so it's going to be a little bit harder to close the deal in that respect. But if you've got a unique point of difference, um, I've got a lot of um, – Students with a background in um, in physical fitness and exercise and stuff work on that sort of stuff, so yeah, I think it 's a great industry um, hmm. William said d r t v seems to be less viable lately, fewer products, fewer companies, and much harder to find as seen in t v select section in the stores seems to be a huge difference in the past comments question mark. I think the DRTV industry is going through a major change. I think a lot of these DRTV companies now, I've talked to a few of them, and they're they're going like straight to like Facebook ads and things like that. They're doing smaller launches and they're doing different stuff. I think it is morphing and I'm I'm not surprised. I haven't been looking in the stores lately to see oh is there more or less DRTV products out there? Um but I, I do think it's going through a change. I think it's I think it's just as viable to license a DRTV product. But I mean, who's watching T V anymore? You know? I mean who has T V? Who has people that um, like watching sports, they still have TV. But most people have a combination of Netflix and Hulu and a couple other subscriptions, Disney Plus and a couple other services and they pay for no ads. And um, so like on Netflix I think I, so Hulu I pay for no ads. And so a lot of times people aren't watching ads anymore, but they are. So a lot of these companies, they're going to uh, Facebook ads and things like that, and they're finding it to be very effective. And it's funny, a, a lot of individuals are doing that now. I think it's a very risky game compared to licensing, but there are individuals that are just advertising their products directly. And then when it works, like maybe their profit margin is very small, but it works. and They just keep pushing it out harder and harder with more ads on Facebook or other places. And I'm seeing individuals doing that. I'm seeing a lot of the DRTV companies doing that now as well. Um, uh, So Max said, what does InventRight offer when it comes to coaching? I think I covered that earlier. So we do one-on-one coaching and we do group coaching. I don't wanna like give a big sales pitch because we're not like that. But if you go to inventright.com and then you click on the coaching button, you can find out more there. Um, we have students licensing products every week um, because of our coaching. Um, we do have uh, fans. You guys are fans. Um, licensing products as well, but it's not nearly as often as our students. That hand-holding, talking to your coach every week, them guiding you through it. We do a sell sheet for people. We do a virtual prototype. We walk them through the provisional, and we guide them through their project every single week, email support and then negotiation support with our negotiation coaches, kind of all included with our one on one coaching package. But um, Max, you're welcome to go on to InventRight and click on contact us and there's a booking page you can book with us to talk about the coaching program. Um, last question DST oh DST FitMom um says are royalties calculated from manufacturing price per unit or retail price? Yeah, there's no way you could possibly calculate from retail price. You're you're calculating it on the um wholesale price, the price that the manufacturer sells to the retailer for, because uh that's easy to track. And if you need to audit them, which you don't want to do, but you always have the audit clause in the contract. Um it's just easy to track, makes everything simple. It's all relative, right? Um, but there's so many sales. Everything's on sale these days. You can't track on retail price unless they're selling direct to customers. Um, then sometimes that will happen, but it's almost always on the wholesale price. So I want to thank you guys for, for jumping on here. Um, I know I can never get, I can never get to everybody, but I got a lot to a lot of you. I can't get to all the questions. Um, I'm going to be back next Monday. Um, if you guys could do me a favor. If you guys, you're welcome, guys. Uh, everybody, William, Ida, 91Sam, 911, and everybody else. Um, if you guys could help me out, if you could go on our channel, just on this video, I think you can click subscribe, or go on to one of our other videos, click subscribe. It really helps us. We're at around 40,000 subscribers by the end of the year or sooner, to be honest with you, I'd like to do within six months. We wanna to get to 80,000 subscribers, um, you know, where this channel starts to snowball there in a really positive way. Um, So that would be great. When you watch our videos, like them, um, welcome to comment on them as well, that helps us as well. So, you know, this is completely free. So if you guys can do that for me, I really appreciate it. When you subscribe on YouTube, nothing happens. It's not like you start getting spam emails or something. So if you don't normally ever subscribe to anything, please subscribe, it'll really help me out and it really help us out as a company. So I appreciate that, Um, all right. So take care everybody, Yeah, uh, Jeff, hang loose, and, and Mike, uh, take care, Julie, uh, Mr. Brown, uh, Max, everybody, uh, take care and keep inventing. Catch up with you with me next time. See you guys.